God is good. All the time. It's good. good to be back with you again with a couple weeks off. Uh, of course, we were, we, yeah, we weren't really off. We were, we were busy. We were preaching and singing. Uh, I, I was thinking about what uh, Leon was talking about God answering prayers, big prayers and small prayers. And it reminded me uh, when we were at my home chapel, United Methodist Church, and we had a copier there, and sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, and I had to go to a meeting somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but I was already late, but I needed to stop at church and make some copies of something. And it, every time I'd run a pay, it'd jam. Every time it just kept jamming. And I was sitting there, and I just put my hands on that copier. And I said, Dear God, please, you know that I'm late for this meeting. Please let this copier work. And I pushed that button, and it ran off 100 copies, buddy. I mean, it never stopped. <laughs> so you're right. Big prayer. There's no big prayer, little prayer. They're just prayers. I remember a Sunday school teacher I used to have, she said, prayer is the sincere desire of the heart. God knows your heart. He knows what we're sincere about. If you want to read along with me this morning, Exodus chapter 12. <coughs> Exodus chapter 12. I'll start at verse 1. Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be your old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goat. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the side of the, and top of the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb. Same night that they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over, the, over fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any until morning. If some is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment upon all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That would make a good song, wouldn't it? <laughs> no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And this is the word of God for the people of God. There was a, uh, a pastor 
who had just been appointed uh, into a church in a, in a large city. And he, he ran an um, uh, ad in the newspaper. He was needing a housekeeper. Uh, so the very next day, there was a well-dressed young man came and knocked on the door of uh, the house where he was at. And the, the pastor goes to the door, and the, the fellow standing there, the only thing he got out was, hello, I've come, and that's all he got out. And until the pastor started to say, listen, can you sweep? Can you make beds? Do you know how to shovel the sidewalk? Can you run errands? Do you know how to balance a checkbook? Can you take care of babies? And the young man said, whoa, wait a minute. He said, I, I just come to see about me and my fiance getting married. If there's that much work involved in planning a wedding, then just forget about it, he said. <laughs> How many of you know there's a lot of work in planning a wedding? Oh, my goodness. I mean, people, people they will start, what, a year ahead of time? Uh, you got you to make sure you get to church. You got to make sure you can reserve the reception hall. You got to choose the right caterers. You got to have the right color, you know, the flowers, right, and the wedding gown. The, all, huh? All the cake, yeah, all, all that important. I mean, I mean, it's no wonder by the time the wedding comes, the couple are so stressed out, uh, you know, they, they can hardly take it. We were watching Adam and Abby's uh, wedding. Uh, they had a videotaped uh, once we were at their house, and they were playing it. And, and Abby said, she said, you know, we were engaged for two years. She said, I just wanted it to all be over with, just to, to be done with. There, I mean, there are just so many details in the modern-day wedding. Ours wasn't like that. I mean, we just... We were in a church, and then we went in the basement and had mints and a handful of chips and nuts and a cake, and that was about it. You know, we were on our way to Myrtle Beach, right? Um, but well, we were involved in a wedding once in Canal City, uh, and the bride, I mean, she had done everything. She, I think she made all the, she made all the dresses. I mean, and, and when it came, the wedding had just started, she was so stressed out, she started crying, and, and she couldn't stop. And, and the pastor had to stop the wedding to, just to calm her down. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, the, the bride and the groom, they, they're so stressed out, they, they just want to, why didn't we elope, you know, and just, just be done with it. Uh, so you have to wonder, you know, wh why do people do that? If it's going to bring you to the brink of insanity, uh, why make such a big deal out of the event? And you could almost say the same thing about the Passover supper that I just read to you from Exodus chapter 12. This Passover ritual, I mean, did, did you notice all the details there was to it? I mean, all, when you eat it, how you eat it, with whom you are to eat it with, uh, to celebrate this, I mean, why is all of that necessary? Uh, I mean, why worry about how to cook it? I mean, you have to roast it over an open fire. You have to have bitter herbs. Uh, you can make bread, but, but you don't put any yeast in the bread. Uh, you can't leave any of it until morning. And if you do, what do you do with it? You have to burn it, right? And, 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 and how do you eat it? You have to even worry about that. How you eat it? You eat it with your, your cloak tucked into your belt, with sandals on your feet, with the staff in your hand, and you eat it quickly. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I like to sit down and enjoy my meal and just, you know, kind of take my time with it. So, so why do you think there are so many do's and don'ts about this Passover meal uh, in Egypt the night before the plague comes uh, when, when actually the most important thing is to be sure you have the blood right on the, on the doorpost? And why even do that? Doesn't God know who's behind each and every door? 
Doesn't he know where his children are? And, by, and isn't there already a mark on them, right? The mark of circumcision that are on, on, on all the males. They already have this mark on their body. So why go to all this trouble? Why make such a big deal out of this Passover meal? Well, I'll tell you why. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. God wants them to make a big deal out of this Passover so they will remember what God is about to do this night in Egypt. You see, this has, this has nothing to do with God's memory. It has everything to do with their memory. God wants them to remember. He wants them to celebrate, to remember, to celebrate the goodness of God. In verse 2, listen to verse 2. It says, this month is for you, the first month, the first month of your year. Verse 13, it says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. You see, does, does God need blood on the doorpost to identify the Hebrew household? Of course not. God doesn't know. God knows who's in there. Does God need for people to go to all the expense, all the planning, all the stress of a wedding before he will honor two hearts coming together as one? No. God, God doesn't need that. Does, does, does God need for us to, uh, to be baptized before he understands that the Spirit of God has entered into people's hearts? No, God doesn't need that. But you see, we do. You and I do. We, we need to make such a big deal out of these things so that we'll remember it. Not God's remember, it's not God's memory. It's our memory. Because we humans have a tendency to forget Right? I mean, we, 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 we humans, we are. Is anybody in here easily distracted? I, I mean, she, she's looking at me and pointing her finger. I can't help it. I am very easily distracted. I am. Let me tell you what happened once. We were on our way to Myrtle Beach. This is back in the 80s. This is when all coal miners took vacations about the same time, and, and half the population of the state ended up in Myrtle Beach, right? You remember that? Well, that, no that's, huh? No GPS. No GPS. No, you had, a, you had a paper map. Remember that? You had a paper map. So we're driving. We're on our way. It's still, the sun even hadn't come up yet, and we're driving down the interstate, and everybody in the car is asleep except me, and I'm driving. I'm going down the interstate, and I'm behind this 18-wheeler, Frank. And I'm telling you, he is carrying the mail. He's going like 80, 85 miles an hour. I mean, he passed me like I was sitting still. And I thought, now I haven't always been a preacher, okay? <laughs> all right, I need to say that right now, all right? So I'm thinking, you know what? He has a CB radio in that truck. And all these other truckers all around, they have CB radios, and they're in contact with each other. They know where the state police are. They know where they're checking traffic. They know where you can speed. If I stay behind him, man, I'm going to get at Myrtle Beach in record time. So I hook up to his bumper, buddy, and I'm right behind him going down the interstate. We're doing 80, 85 miles an hour. Finally, Nancy wakes up. She says, where are we? And I said, well, I, I really don't know where we are, but we are making good time. And she gets the map out, and she says, Richard, we were an hour one way in the wrong direction. 
I'm easily distracted. I, I can't help it. I, do, I, I just am. And, 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 and I'm saying all that to say this, that if certain high points in our lives... If we don't celebrate them in great detail, like birthdays and like anniversaries, we have an, a tendency to forget their importance, right? So we need to, I mean, we celebrated my birthday yesterday at the house. And I didn't want to celebrate it by myself. My whole family was there. I'm, I'm wore out this morning because of an eight-year-old grandson who wears me out and wants me to play soccer every time he shows up, but I love it. You see, you want to celebrate with people around you. So we celebrate weddings, we celebrate, we celebrate birthdays. Uh, for years, uh, at annual conference, our annual conference, I, I'm not sure about the, the Presbyterians, how you guys ordain your, your ministers, uh, and it may be about the same way, but we only ordain ministers uh, once a year, and that's at annual conference. Uh, and, and when... when uh, Pastors graduate seminary, that's just the beginning in our denomination. In our that's just the beginning. You still have a three-year process to go through before you can be ordained as a United Methodist pastor. Uh, you go before the board of ordained ministries. You paperwork, listen, you have paperwork, you wouldn't believe all the questions you have to answer. You have to come before the board. They get to ask you any question they want to ask you. And then after that, you're in a three-year residency program, right? And then you go back before the board again, and you have to write all of these papers again and answer all the questions again. And then they vote on you, whether they think that you're worthy to be ordained or not. And then, so at annual conference, if you go through all of that, that three-year process after graduating seminary, then you are ordained. Our son, Adam, when he first started, when he was in maybe junior high, he hated that Sunday because they bring each person up one at a time, the, the, the bishop and, and the district superintendent, uh, they come up and they, they all lay their hands on you as you lay your hands on your Bible. And the bishop will proclaim to everyone there that you can preach the word of God, that you can serve the people, that you can perform the duties of a pastor. And while all of this is going on, you're remembering all of the hundreds of papers that you had to write. You're, you're remembering about all the hundreds of books that you had to read, about the, the untold number of questions you've been asked, and the months and months that you stayed away from your family and your home. Does God need all of that to remember that he's called you into the ministry? No. God doesn't need that. But you see, listen, church, there are difficult days and sleepless nights in the life of a pastor. There are things that pastors go through. I talked to one this past week. I didn't talk to him. We were texting back and forth. He's pulling his hair out about something that's going on in, in his congregation. And you're, you're going to go through like that. So you need these memories. We need them to remember that if God got me through this three-year ordination thing, then God can get me through anything. When I first went into ministry and I went in to pick up the, the assignments that I had to do, I had to read 15 books and write 50 pages of, of answers to the questions, and I had six weeks to do it in. And I come back out, and Nancy said, how bad is it? And I read her the paper. I said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. That's the only thing I knew to do. If God got me through that, he can get me through anything. It's us. We're the ones that have the memory problem. It's not God. But, but, you know, but sometimes the way can be made too easy. 
Sometimes ordination can be made too easy. And, and so, well, I think sometimes we just need to remember, remember it and reminded how, how precious it is that God's called us into the ministry. And the same thing is true about this Passover supper that we're talking about. God Almighty had made a covenant with Abraham, right? He promised Abraham and his descendants that they would settle in the promised land, Canaan's fair and happy land, all right? But listen, church, the Israelites aren't there yet. They still have, they have many hardships, they have many difficulties, many adversities to overcome on this journey from leaving Egypt to get to the promised land. There were going to be times when they felt like that their faith in God was absolutely bankrupt. So God knew that they were going to need this Passover as a remembrance that God was their provider, He was their sustainer, Savior, counselor, and that God was their friend. They were going to need that on the way. This Passover, with all of its strictness, with all of its correctness, and all of its uh, ceremonial procedures, would do just that. It would remind them of the night in Egypt when the death angel came through and killed the firstborn of everyone who wasn't a child of God. Even the animals were slaughtered. It would remind them that God had delivered them from slavery. And it would remind them if God did that, God could do anything. This scripture this morning should be a reminder to you and us, you and I, church, should be a reminder to us. Sunday morning worship services is a big deal. Amen? Amen. This is when we come to worship God. I mean, I come, to, I come to Sunday school this morning, and I put my offering, my, my, my birthday offering in something, a little church here. But that's not why I'm here. I don't come here this morning to see what you're wearing. I didn't come in here this morning to see who's here or not here. I come here this morning to worship God. This is a worship service, and it's a big deal for us. Baptismal services, that's a big deal. When you someone is in a new member in your congregation. I always made a big deal out of that. I always brought them all up front and introduced them to the congregation and, 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 and it would have them to talk about how they were going to support the church and, and, and be faithful in their giving and be faithful in their attendance. And the church would always respond to them. We'll be faithful to pray for you and lift you up before God. Holy communion services is a big deal, church. It is. Why do we do these things? Why do we need to be remembered of this? Because like the Israelites, you and I aren't home yet. We're not. We are not home yet. We still have hardships ahead for us. We're going to have difficult days ahead of us. We still have times ahead of us when our faith in God is going to be bankrupt. And we're going to cry out to God and say, Lord, do you remember me? <laughs> you see what I'm going through? And these high points in life, these high points of coming to church and worship, baptismal services and, and communion services are, help us to remember the day when God brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It will remind us of the day when my name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a reminder to me of the day when joy replaced the sorrow that filled my heart. Reminds me of the day when peace placed this uproar, replaced this uproar that was going on in my mind. And a reminder of me of the day God called me into ministry to serve his kingdom. Passover was a big deal 
Because God is a big deal. And God wants you never to forget something, church. That in his eyes, you're a big deal. You are a big deal in the eyes of God. You see, some people may think, you know, why does God even bother with us? Well, I mean, why does God even give us a, a second look? Don't you ever forget that you were fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of God Almighty. Listen to what the psalmist says in, in Psalms chapter 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your finger, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and the herds and the animals and the wild, bird, the wild and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the path of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Why does God give us a second look? Why does God care so much for us? Because God took great care. There was divine attention paid in the design of the human body. What a wonder of miracle. Look at this. You ever just look at the human hand and think, I look at it and I think, man, I can just, I just think and it does whatever I tell it to do. Only God could do that. Only God can do that. You ever hear people say, boy, when they made you, they broke the mold. Well, that, you know that's true. Do you know that's true? It is. I guess there is no one on this planet like you. No one else on this planet has your DNA. You are a one-of-a-kind design by Almighty God. You are so much of a big deal that God created, had a virgin to conceive a child. The first time in history, the only time in history, and Jesus Christ was born. You are so much of a big deal that in the eyes of God, he allowed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross of Calvary and hang there and die and shed his lifeblood for you just so you could spend eternity in heaven with God. He wants you there. He wants you to be with him forever. You are so much of a big deal that God Almighty, who could live anywhere in this universe, has chosen to live inside your heart. God thinks you're so much of a big deal. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. Heaven rejoiced. There was a celebration. There was a big deal made over you the day you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. There was a celebration taking place in heaven. And right now, at this very moment, as you sit right here at the Winifer uh, Community Church, right now, do you know there's preparations being made in heaven for your arrival? Right this very moment, preparation is being made. Listen, Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus eagerly awaits our arrival in heaven. So much so, he told his disciples in Matthew 26, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine now on until the day I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. The, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish culture, the wedding banquet, the wedding party, it, I mean, it, it, was, it was always a, a tremendous occasion, a time of celebration. And heaven right now, 
is making preparation for our celebration when we, you and I, go walking down the streets of glory. Listen, you think Cinderella going to the ball was a big deal? <laughs> That's nothing compared to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You see, church, it's not God's memory that's short. It's our memory that's short. We're the ones that have the short memory. That, that's why church attendance is such a big deal. Some say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, we all know what happens to the red-hot coal when it was pulled out of the fire. Right? It went out. It took a little while. But it went out. Every time you and I gather together like this as the body of Christ, it's a reminder to all of us that we're on the winning side. I mean, it's hard to celebrate by yourself, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It's hard to celebrate by yourself. That's why, that's why when you have something worth celebrating, you want people to come together so you can celebrate. Jesus was so excited about his victory on the cross, his victory over sin and death, that he calls us together every week to celebrate his accomplishment on the cross. You see, we don't just celebrate Easter on Easter Sunday. We celebrate Easter every time we come here every Sunday morning. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading, it's a big deal. Why is it a big deal? I'll tell you why. Because we're surrounded by sin. We're surrounded by temptation. We're surrounded by evil. And church, there are times when you and I can suffer from temporary amnesia. Right? And we can forget. There are times when we can forget. We're not home yet. I heard somebody say that earlier in Sunday school, I think. We're, we're not home yet. And church, we can't take any of this stuff with us when we leave. I don't want any of it. Amen? Listen, listen on, on the day that, that Leonard Johnson's or Stephen Grass, whoever it is, takes you to your final resting place, I promise you that hearse will not be pulling a U-Haul. Okay? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because one of these days our home is on the other side. And one of these days you and I are going to walk down streets of gold and we're going to sing a song that the angels can't sing. That I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And when that day comes, when, when that day comes, church, we, you and I will be eternally grateful to God that he made such a big deal over getting us there. There's an old song and some hymnals. I like the old hymns. I can't help it. That's just, that's just me. But there's an old hymn that says, Heaven will surely be worth it all, worth all the sorrow that here's befall. After this life with all its strife, heaven will surely be worth it all. And when I get to heaven, I may have to stand in line. And I know my parents will be there, and I've got, man, I've, I've, got, more, I've got more family members there than I do here, okay? But the first person I want to see is Jesus. And I want to thank him that he thought I was such a big deal that he died for me on that cross. And he died for you. Each and every one of you, he died for you. He knew your name. He knew that, you know what? I was thinking, yesterday was my birthday, 69 years old. And I was thinking, you know what? 69 years and nine months ago, now listen, 69 years and nine months ago, God knew my name. The very 
moment I was conceived in my mother's womb, God knew me. He knew my name. And he loved me. And he, from that moment to now, his greatest desire is for me to spend eternity in heaven with him. That's his greatest desire. And it is for you too. And if you have never accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, if you've never accepted that as payment for your sin, oh, I urge you to seriously consider it. Because God thinks you're such a big deal. He really does that he allowed his son to die just, just for you. Just for you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Father, we thank you for your plan of salvation. You, you thought of it all. You thought of it all. You made it so simple. You made it so plain, so, so easily understood that a child can understand it. And Father, I just pray if there is one person here this morning. I don't, I don't know anyone's heart but, Lord, I know you, you know everyone's heart. And, Father, I just pray that you speak to that one person here this morning that may not have accepted Jesus Christ, that they would consider it this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God did make it very simple, didn't he? That a child could understand. I'm going to say it real quick. Just tell you this. We went to see, uh, what was it? We went to see the Clay Center when Anna, and we took Anna and Adam and Abby and uh, Sound of Music. And there was a guy that we went to church with at, at Morris, uh, Chris is his name. And Anna, our little granddaughter, uh, she, she knew Chris, went to our church. Uh, so there was a part in this performance where Chris kisses a, a woman. And Anna sitting beside of me, and she said, uh, he goes to your church, doesn't he? And I said, yeah, he does. She said, is that his wife? <laughs> I said, no, honey, that, that's not his wife. She said, well, isn't that against the law for him to kiss her? I said, well, no, it, it's not really against the law. She said, well, isn't it against God's law? Hmm? So simple that even a child can understand. And at that point, I said, I'll explain it to you later, all right? Let's, <laughs> let's just kind of watch right now what's going on. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. Man, I urge you to give your heart to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this morning. If you need to come and pray, you come. 349. 349.